Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics. With the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And UDO Books, an independent, family owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. UDOBooks.com. Good morning. Welcome to our show number 852. Wow. I want to say thank you to our friends from Manomet, a wonderful pioneering conservation and science organization here in Massachusetts for hosting a fun bird walk that we tagged along on yesterday at a place called Winthrop Beach, just north of Boston, where we saw shorebirds and seabirds. And then in a quiet neighborhood nearby, got some great looks at a pair of monk parakeets. Special thanks to trip leaders Sohail Zenda and Shiloh Schulte and Lisa Shibley. And we have a very special guest in our studio. I just noticed this morning. I heard someone <laughs> clearing his throat, and I thought, my goodness. David Clapp is here with us, our first uh, guest since the beginning of the pandemic, in-studio guest, uh, that is. Oh, hi, Ray. <laughs> Muffled voice. Yeah, he knows the mic technique very well. There. Well, David served for, if I get this right, three decades as a Mass Audubon Sanctuary Director, at one point of two sanctuaries at once, actually for a long time, I think 25 years. Mm-hmm. He spent several years as an international bird tour leader with Smithsonian Journeys. He's also spent a few hours in this studio as a guest on our show over the years, and we're thrilled to have him back with us again. Good morning, David. Good morning. Those hours in this studio are the highlight of my life. Really? Absolutely. Wow. Did Absolutely we get that right. on tape? Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, David, before we uh, get some of your insights about the magic and mysteries of fall migration or migration in general, I think you have a thought or two about those monk parakeets that we I, saw. I do. You know, yeah. monk parakeets, Massachusetts parakeet parrot, they just don't go together. You hardly ever hear those words in the same sentence. Hmm. Monk parakeets are an Argentinian open grassland kind of uh, nuisance bird, really. They eat crops and that sort of stuff. We had a parakeet called the Carolina parakeet yeah. on the east coast south of us. Extinct. No. Extinct, yeah. killed off because mm-hmm. it ate crops and fruits. Uh, the same kind of thing with the monk parakeet. They don't like it in the south. It's a nuisance. and it's, <laughs> But it's, an, it's a cute little parakeet, mm-hmm. and it a, makes a decent pet bird, apparently. Mm-hmm. Because Chicago, uh, New York for a while, San Francisco, all the Texas coast and Florida, there, there are colonies now of monk parakeets. Mm-hmm. How they get up here, whether they get released by somebody in the urban areas and they've sort of forced their way in, I don't know. But they're, over the past... 30, 35 years, there are scattered reports of monk parakeets in Massachusetts. There was a a nesting pair or two or three pairs down near Somerset, which uh, Rhode Island borders somewhere Mm -hmm. down there. Mm -hmm. Um, And once they start to nest, they make these huge stick nests. They're kind of, um, they're not as big as a trash barrel, but they're like a skinny trash barrel. Yeah. And they're all sticks. They're heavy. They can cause fires on transistors, transformers. Mm-hmm. And so the electric company tends to get rid of them. Yeah. So. And and we did see with a, one of those nests, I guess not full size yet, as you were describing how big, how big they get. And these birds are all over the country, many cities around yeah. the country and in Canada. 
as well. well. Yeah, well, they made a movie, the movie about the birds of San Francisco, the parrots of San Francisco, yeah. whatever that was called. Uh, many of those were among parakeets. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're very hardy. Parakeets are surprisingly hardy. There's a lot of them that live uh, at high elevation. They're a little bit, hummingbirds, too, live at high elevation. But um, parrots and parakeets are just, they can crunch through most anything. They've got mm-hmm. strong bills. Uh, they find food. They're okay. Well, we're in fall migration season, uh, David, r- right now, and uh, I, I know you were a follower of migration and a, and, a, and a student of it too. And we talked off off the air about all the variations in 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 um, in migration. Birds going at different times of year, of course, and, yeah. and some leaving early, some later, and some not at the same time every year. Right. There's some sort of you know general. Um predictions you can make. The bug eaters will leave when it gets cold and the bugs die off. Mm -hmm. The seed eaters will linger because seeds fall to the ground and you can find seeds for a long time. But it doesn't, it's not always so cut and dry. Purple martins, which are not a common nesting bird here in the northeast, they're much more common in the central and southern parts of the U.S., all the way to the west coast. Um, They migrate away from us very, very early. They're gone often in July. Mm. Um, and we get our first sandpipers and shorebirds passing through in July. Mm-hmm. And these birds are on their way south. It could have to do with food. It could have to do with establishing territories in the place they want to be for six or seven or eight months. Uh, and so they want to get there on time to elbow their way into the best habitat mm-hmm. down in the Amazon or someplace. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's really quite interesting. They don't, they don't follow a pattern except that they all follow a pattern, you know? It's... <laughs> You can be surprised by things, but then you say, well, it's happened before and it'll happen again. A, v- a varying pattern yes, kind, that's kind of right. thing. Well, you're uh, sometime this fall heading out to Kansas and uh, to look at, among other things, shorebirds. Some people might not think of Kansas as a place that has shorebirds or, or even shores, for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, actually. Uh, it does have some wetlands, and there's some places uh, in both Nebraska, Oklahoma, Kansas that are quite famous for the number of migrant birds that reach them. Most of the write-ups you see from that area are ducks coming in, pot prairie pothole ducks, mm-hmm. redheads, canvasback teal, all kinds of things pouring into these little puddles. But there's a tremendous number of what I would call sort of grass pipers, pipe, sandpipers that are just as happy to be feeding on a wet meadow as they are to be feeding along our shoreline. Ours here in the northeast kind of get funneled over to the edge and then they stop moving because they've hit the ocean Mm -hmm. so they work their way south we get a a concentration in the middle of the country they go from sort of wet spot to wet spot down following the uh, great flyways down the center of the country and there'll be things like um, bared sandpiper stilt sandpiper things that we don't see many of here Mm -hmm. Uh, some of the wilson's phalarope and you know, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Plus, it'll be fun. This time of year, you start to see sparrows beginning to migrate in. You get all those western sparrows coming in and, and the ducks as well. Oh, mm-hmm. Kansas Kansas can be, well, I shouldn't say this, but I'm told Kansas <laughs> can be quite enjoyable. Wow, what a, what a bumper uh, sticker you got yeah, there. that's right. <laughs> Kansas can be quite enjoyable. <laughs> I love that. That's David Clapp, and we'll talk more with David coming up here in a bit on our show this morning. But we want to do a preview of our mystery bird contest, which we do every week. Here. I know that David recognizes this sound. It's a medium-sized raptor with broad wings, a short square tail, 
in a narrow, strongly down-curved bill. The male is a sooty gray color, and the female is grayish-brown with a striped breast. And by the way, this is a preview of our mystery bird contest coming along a bit later on. In the show, our bird gets its name from the small mollusks it plucks in flight from the stalks of marsh grass. You can see this bird if you're in Florida or heading there this winter. It's found there and pretty much nowhere else in the U.S. year-round. You confirm that, David? I do, I do. Occasionally we'll swing along the Gulf Coast a little bit, but not much. Mm -hmm. Well, that's our mystery bird. Beautiful prizes from Droll Yankees and also from our new friends at Feather Friendly. And it's this beautiful window marker kit. It is so cool and a beautiful little kit that they will send out to make your windows visible to birds so they won't crash into them. And if we have time for a bonus question on our mystery bird contest, we'll uh, give away a $20 certificate from Wisdom Supply Company. They have those wonderful items for school or for your home office or your desk, all ecologically friendly and no plastic in sight. All coming up a little bit later on in this morning's show. And this is our salute to some of the royalty of our Talking Birds listener family, our Talking Birds ambassadors who help us get the word out about the show and about birds and conservation, which is the word that we're trying to get out here. So I want to say thank you to Byron B. from Canton, Ohio. And David, you'll love this. Byron says he has birded on all seven continents. Oh, that's wonderful. That is pretty uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, that's a lot of walking. That yeah. is a lot. He did some swimming, too, I think. But thank you so much, Byron. Thank you to Virginia M. from Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. She says, new listener, love the show. Look forward to receiving the cards and passing them on to others at all my favorite birding spots. Good. So thank you, Virginia. Yeah, wonderful. And we extend a cordial invitation to all Talking Birds listeners to join our ambassador's family. And being an ambassador is very easy, and so is signing up. Just go to click on the Get Involved tab at the top of our website homepage, and that would be TalkingBirds.com. And David, I know you're going to hate this, but still to come on our show today, Mike O'Connor will be with us oh. for a live installment. <laughs> <laughs> every week, every week. <laughs> a live installment of Let's Ask Mike about why he finally agreed to be on the show, even though David Clapp <laughs> is here. No, really, he's going to be talking about a bird called the northern wheat ear. Oh. Yeah, you know. I do know yeah, all, all about it. You know I'll, about be, I'll, I'll be critical of his approach. Yeah, I bet you will. And up yeah. next... A favorite bird of Attila the Hun is today's featured feathered friend presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. When Attila the Hun was plundering the Balkans, attacking Constantinople, and invading the northern provinces of what is now Italy in the 5th century, he wore on his helmet the image of a fierce raptor. That same predator has been chosen by the Republic of Korea, that would be South Korea, as a cherished emblem of its air force. The bird is the goshawk, represented here in North America by today's featured feathered friend, the northern goshawk. This bird is about 21 inches long with a three and a half foot wingspan. The adult has dark, slate-blue-gray upper parts with a finely streaked gray chest and belly, 
a long tail, a pale eyebrow stripe on its dark head, and red eyes. The name goshawk comes from an old English word meaning goosehawk, honoring its prowess in falconry against large quarry, such as wild geese. Like its smaller relatives, the Cooper's hawk and the sharp-shinned hawk, the northern goshawk has broad, rounded wings for maneuvering or crashing through forest vegetation in pursuit of prey. Attila the Hun apparently liked to attack people, and goshawks will do that too, although mainly for defensive purposes if an intruder gets too close to their nest. Fearsome enough to adorn the helmet of Attila the Hun, and respected enough to earn the Latin species name Gentilis, meaning noble. The northern goshawk, Accipiter Gentilis. Today's Talking Birds featured Feathered Friend. Welcome again to our show, number 852. Superstar birder David Clapp is our special guest live in our studio after a too long absence. So good morning again, David. It's good to be here, Ray. It is so great to have you uh, have you with us. And David, some big developments um, related to bird habitat and habitat in general, conservation things happening. Uh, we talked about this last week. The Department of the Interior announced $34 million in grants to help restore, uh, restore wetland habitats all around the country. There was a $74 million partner fund grant. So that was last week. And then this week, the Fish and Wildlife Service announced nearly $79 million in grants to protect about 56,000 acres of habitat for listed and at-risk species across 13 states. And then the Department of the Interior had some other good news, announcing actions to ensure that the Migratory Bird Treaty Act... <coughs> Um, conserves birds today and into the future with changing their rules back to what they yeah back to, to what they were yeah, yeah that's that's fine um, uh, all that work with restoration it, it it's always everything has a flip side mm-hmm. you can work to to enhance habitat create habitat save habitat for specific needs for mm-hmm. creatures that need a specific habitat. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, when you do that, you're disallowing it from evolving into a forest or a wet meadow or whatever the, mm. whatever transition might be taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always... There's always a flip side to everything. And um, I, I don't know... If you're a blackback woodpecker in the north and you know that a fire... Not. you know you Oh, geez, yeah, that, that's true, <laughs> isn't it? Uh, a fire is raging through your countryside. Mm-hmm. You might say to yourself, oh, boy, in a couple of years, I'm going to have the best stuff to eat. The, yeah. All those beetles are going to be in the dead trees. Mm-hmm. If you're any other kind of bird, you're saying, oh, all my trees are being killed. And, you know, mm-hmm. so... Everything is complex, of, Ray, I guess is all I'm going to say. It's everything's about, a trade-off. Yeah, everything's a trade-off. I right. certainly have protect, worked with endangered species, protected endangered species, created management stuff for protected species, and we have to do it. Mm-hmm. We just have to do it. But down the road, I see all kinds of problems uh, with other competitions, competitions for water necessary to manage these lands, uh, all kinds of... It's. I hope we stay with it. I really mm-hmm. hope we stay with it. Mm-hmm. And the reversion of the uh, uh, Migratory Bird Act is welcome, very welcome. It's It's good to see. 
Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of uh, problems, here's the other thing that the Fish and Wildlife Service has uh, just said, officially declaring extinct 23 species of birds, fish, and plants, including eight Hawaiian forest birds mm. and the iconic ivory-billed woodpecker. Um, assumed extinct for a long time, but they're saying officially it is extinct. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what that means. I know that... <laughs> If a person sort of disappears and you're never quite sure if they've run away, they're hiding, they're in Brazil, or they're, if they passed away, it's, it's a while. And it's been a while for the ivory-billed woodpecker. The, the, can, the casual sightings persisted up into the last decade or two, mm-hmm. um, but confirmed sightings and confirmed records, uh, body carcasses and this kind of stuff go back almost 100 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, there are... A lot of reports from the 40s and 50s that are probably true, mm-hmm. but... 1944, I think, wasn't yeah. the last kind yeah. of accepted one. Yeah. Our, our friend uh, Tim Gallagher said he it's, rediscovered the bird in the bottomlands of Arkansas, I guess, 2005. Yeah. And, and we was, all hoped it was true. Yeah, it was every, all celebrated and uh, then kind of shot down, if you'll pardon the expression, by a number <laughs> of other birders, uh, Ken Kaufman and David Sibley and, and some others. But not everybody wants to accept this extinction of the ivory bill. John Fitzpatrick from Cornell Lab said it was premature to call off the effort. Of course, he was one of those who really supported the you know, the alleged yeah, he rediscovery. He, yeah, he, he thought the rediscovery was valid and uh, spent a lot of time working uh, toward making it valid. Mm-hmm. Um, it's difficult. I don't know. I've, I have uh, a reporting system out there from a, a bunch of animals called Bigfoot, and they tell, oh. me, they tell me that the ivory bill is still around. Oh, well, that's a source. So, yeah. uh, I don't know, Ray, it's tough. It, part of the deal is that when you do something like that with something that's so iconic and so relatively so current, I mean, the Hawaiian birds are a whole terrible, sad story. Mm-hmm. But the ivy bill is continental. We all had a chance at seeing it. Uh, and there's a certain loss of hope, a certain, a certain finality to it that, mm-hmm. that really is a bit depressing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what bothers people as much as anything else, the idea that you've given up hope. Yeah, but then they say hope is what kills you. That's the other side. Hope is the thing with wings. Yeah, indeed. David Clapp here with us in the studio. We'll we'll talk about something happier in our mystery bird contest. And that is coming up in just one minute. The flutter of a tail feather. The flash of a wing bar in mid-flight. You don't always have a lot of time to identify a bird in nature, let alone to appreciate its beauty. But with Vortex Optics, you'll have the power to bring every wild moment closer. When you choose Vortex, you're choosing to have a partner in the field as passionate about nature as you are. Whether you're spotting old friends on the backyard feeder or packing for a once-in-a-lifetime trip to add a few species to your life list, Vortex offers a full range of optics and optics accessories for every birder and every budget. And whether the birds are taking you to another state or another country, you're always covered by the Vortex VIP warranty. An unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. If you'd like to learn more, or if you need help choosing your next optic, give Vortex a call at 1-800-4-VORTEX or visit vortexoptics.com. The sound of our mystery bird. David is sitting there going, what's so mysterious about this? It's a medium-sized raptor with broad wings, a short square tail, and a narrow, strongly 
a down-curved bill. The male is a sooty gray color, the female grayish-brown with a striped breast. Our bird, this is the big hint, gets its name from the small mollusks. It plucks in flight from the stalks of marsh grass. This bird is in Florida and pretty much nowhere else in the U.S. What is it? Tell us or take a guess. No correct answer means a drawing determines our winner. But uh, let us know what you think. And it's 781-837-4900. That's the number. 781-837-4900. A whole raft of beautiful prizes here on our Mystery Bird Contest from Droll Yankees and Feather Friendly. And if we have time for the bonus question from our friends at Wisdom Supply as well. 781-837-4900 is the number. And uh, we're calling another number right now. That would be Mike O'Connor's down at the Bird Watchers General Store. It's Let's Ask Mike live, David, in just <laughs> one minute. Beautio Books carries one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. New, used, and rare books covering everything from backyard birding to general ornithology. From field guides to photography skills, biography, fiction, and humor. You'll find it all along with the knowledgeable customer service you've been looking for in one convenient place. Beautyobooks.com. B-U-T-E-O. Beautyobooks.com. My name is Kim Hillis, and I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas. I became a Talking Birds ambassador because it's a wonderful way to share with colleagues, neighbors, friends, and even those that you don't know the beauty of birds and nature. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join our ambassadors family. Just visit our website, click on Get Involved at the top of the homepage, and then choose the Become an Ambassador option at TalkinBirds.com. Join today, and thanks. Yes, it's true. Mike O'Connor is down there at the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. And David Clapp is here in the studio with us. Uh, Mike, David said he's going to be really nice to you today. That made me nervous when I heard him say that. <laughs> you know, I don't think it's coincidental that we had David on the same day you talked about Attila the Hunt. <laughs> i got to check the relation that. This was a checkbox to see if Mike was going to pick up on that. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Yeah, you know what, and, and now we're talking, you guys had that nice depressing lead into my, my bit. Yeah, <laughs> on purpose. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add some depressing news to it. This is just from my standpoint. The, uh, the finch forecast was just released, Tyler Horst's finch forecast, yeah. saying, well, all those great finches, the, the grosbeaks speaks and the red poles and the siskins that pour down from Canada and come to feeders and eat all the bird seed and get us all excited. Well, according to him, they're staying in Canada this year. So uh, that's not good news for greedy hmm. bird seed merchants like myself. Hmm, I man. guess the, the crop is good up there. No, yeah. that's good for the birds, actually. You know, the, the, you know, the crops, crops up there running cycles, and this year they're having a good crop, according to Tyler. So uh, we won't be seeing a lot of growth speaks. Although he did say something about... Maybe some nut hatches or evening growth speaks. He called it some kind of an echo population. I didn't even know what that meant, but um, we felt <laughs> a little bit of hope. We had a friend in Chicago just the other day saying they had some uh, red-breasted uh, nut hatches there, so maybe that's a little sign, too. Well, they're always a little, you know. I, mean, because, <laughs> I saw one yesterday, but that doesn't mean... Last year, holy smokes. Yeah, they were you know, they were, yeah. they, were at, they were waiting at the bus stop. They were at the coffee shop. They were everywhere last year, so this is, this is different. You have another bird species you wanted to uh, talk about oh, that you've recently right. Northern seen. Oh, that's right, northern weed here. Northern weed here. Yeah, we talk, you know, I think everybody... 
everybody kind of does the same thing. You sit at the same table at the at, at the dinner table. You sit in the same seat for, for TV, or you go on a trip and you always go to the same cottage or you eat at the same restaurant or go to the same ice cream shop. Well. There's a bird here that takes it to another level. Northern wheat ear is a bird from northern Europe and Asia and Siberia, and then there's a population in uh, in the New World, as you know, you people like to call it, um, Canada and Alaska. And these birds are, are super stubborn because they spend their winter in Africa. So all, when the birds up in Canada will say up up above the Arctic Circle are breeding, and all the other birds David just talked about fly down along the coast of migration. They go through the center of the country, through the flyway, along the coast, and head down to the tropics or the southern part of this country. They all have that same route. Well, the weed ear, which is a little bird, not much bigger than a bluebird, actually act small than a bluebird, not very colorful, has historic roots in, in Africa. So instead of following all his friends south, it flies across the Atlantic in the case of the Canadian population, maybe stops in Greenland, then goes to Europe, and then flies down, continues, goes over, um, we'll say, the Mediterranean, and then into Africa to spend the winter. Crazy distance, and the birds that breed in Alaska fly across the Bering Sea, and then across Asia, then across uh, the Middle East, and then again into Africa. These guys love Africa. And so instead of taking their short, normal route like all the other birds, these guys have fly great distances, and they, because of that, we don't get to see them here on the East Coast or other parts of the North America, except once in a while, one, you know, decides to uh, you know, get lost, usually a young bird, and one popped up the other day in the nearby town of Yarmouth, I got a call from uh, Alex Berto, a great birder who used to work for me, but, you know, I couldn't afford him. So... <laughs> <laughs> so he gave me a call. He had one in his yard. There's a good yard bird. This little kind of weed ear, and I ran down, and I got some good looks at him. And, and, and I think, David, tell us how you saw him, David. We happened onto the beach and popped over the dunes, but about 12 miles uh, west of where Alex lives. So the thing was moving moving to the west. But let me just ask you quickly, if I can. Ray's giving me the signal. Do you know why it's called wheat ear? It's oh. not because... Oh, yeah, it's, yes, I do. It's, it's not because it has... We can't say that on the ear, though. Oh, we can't? Oh, I don't know. It's a... It's a... I can't It's say It's an abuse of the uh, Icelandic phrase for white arse. Yes. You know, exactly. it, 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 can we not say that? Well, the, that? Yeah, I guess we can. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, let, let me just mention that uh, we we uh, we did a little feature on the northern wheat ear that was on our uh, show number seven hundred and sixteen. Oh, I on, remember that. Yeah, February, was an honor. Head of the game. February of two thousand nineteen. <laughs> for anybody who wants to uh, look that up, show hundred and seven. Yeah. Well, Mike, I think we're out of time here. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. I got to go Wait, read about it. No, don't, Mike. Mike, it's time for everybody to clean their bird feeders, buy bird seed, and get set up for the winter. Oh, you're the best, David. I oh, know you. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, it sounds like you guys have really made up. I don't <laughs> even know who he is. <laughs> <laughs> See you next week, Mike. Okay, thank you, guys. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. well, we're back to the mystery bird contest. I'm not sure you can hear that bird over the cacophony here, but there it is again. 781-837-4900 is the number. Not much time, but we'll see what we can do. Gene is in Marshfield, Massachusetts. I know that place, and it is not his birthday. I'll explain why that's important in a moment, but good morning, Gene. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think, Gene, on our mystery bird? I think it's a snail kite. A snail kite. 
is what uh, Gene thinks it is. We, we, okay, um, you know what? You are absolutely right. The reason I mentioned the thing about uh, the birthdays because we had Saskia waiting on the line, and it is her birthday, so we didn't get to her, but, but Saskia, happy, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Yeah, from all of us here, including yeah. David, not Mike, <laughs> but uh, the rest of us here for sure. So, uh, Gene, you're absolutely correct. Um, snail kite. Is, is the right answer. Snail kite. Nice they, yeah. Pomaceous scale snails, which are actually about the size of a golf ball. Hmm. They can be quite large. They have a very long hooked beak, like you said, to reach into the shell. And yeah. Escargot. All right. <laughs> Gene, stay on the line. We'll get your address, and we're out of time. Before we go, uh, I would next be glad week. I to give the prize to the mystery girl, I mean the birthday girl. Oh, can we arrange that, Jesse? He wants to give the prize to our birthday girl. I don't know if she's still on the line, but... We'll see what we can do. It's a nice, that's a nice gesture, Gene. Thank you. Okay. David, you. we are just plumb out of timer. Thank oh, you so much for being on the show with us. We still have... Uh, a pleasure. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, sorry, we got a, little dis- I got a little distracted there. Next week, our guest will be Perbita Saha, one of the founders of the Galbatross Project, which aims to increase public awareness about and scientific study of female birds. I was going to say, Saskia is on the line if you want to talk to her real quick. Um... Hi, Saskia. Happy birthday. Hi, Ray. <laughs> okay, we're out of time. See you next week. <laughs> Ray Brown, Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. By Vortex Optics, with the VIP warranty, their unlimited lifetime promise to keep you and your optic covered. Learn more at vortexoptics.com. And Beautio Books, an independent, family-owned bookstore carrying one of the largest selections of birding books in the world. Beautiobooks.com.